Welcome back to Halford and Bruff here, Sportsnet 650. It's Jamie Dodd, Randy Janda, filling in for the guys. Halford and Bruff brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today. Visit your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. We are live from the Kintech studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider. Uh, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. And again, I want to remind you, we are doing what we learned at 7.30, an hour earlier than normal. I know change is tough. It's hard to adapt, but uh, we implore you, send in your what we learned here. We will read them in the next segment. Hit us up, hashtag WWL. Uh, before we get to that, though, we are very pleased to have our next guest on the line. He is the commissioner of the Canadian Elite Basketball League. Mike Morreale joins us. Mike, thank you very much for doing this. How are you? I'm well, guys. Thank you very much. Nice to be here. Yeah, and uh, I, I know it's a, it's an exciting week for you and your league here in Vancouver specifically, and I, I know it got started with uh, with the awards ceremony last night. How was that? It was really great. It's, it's always a highlight of the year to kind of get down to these last three games and be able to celebrate, you know, not only um, Canadian basketball, but our stars and our teams and, and uh, just get the party started right. And you're able to, you know, bring four franchises with you, which is pretty unique. Uh, it's got a, a, you know, that final four feel to it. Um, championship weekend, when you were brainstorming this, when you guys were coming up with the idea, uh, how big of a, a priority was it to have a kind of a party, but like, you know, celebrate the season, celebrate the game and look forward to that, that entire weekend? Well, as some people may know, I, I grew up around and in the CFL for so much of my life that, you know, the championship weekends kind of modeled off a combination of the great cup and the final four. So it's got the intrigue of, you know, the single elimination games, but it's got that, that cool festival uh, atmosphere that, that comes with bringing people together to celebrate in this case, Canadian basketball. So, you know, we're really excited to be here in Vancouver um, to be playing out of the LEC out in, in Langley and, and, and just being able to celebrate the game and, and, all the great parts of the game. Yeah, as you mentioned, you're at the LEC. That's where the uh, the Bandits are playing. And you know what? What are your thoughts about how the Bandits, specifically as a franchise, have performed and, and grown since the league started? Well, you know it's it's been it's been a really good uh, period for the Bandits, you know, and, and their growth because they they started out at the Abbey Center. Uh, originally, we wanted to get to the LEC at that time, but just couldn't get in. There's a lot of stuff going on at the venue. We made the move a couple years ago down the road back uh, to the LEC, um, which was really fantastic. It just a little bit uh, busier area, more more commercial entities uh, closer to the transit lines, et cetera, et cetera, and, and a fantastic uh, building that's used to hosting major minor basketball uh, championships, etc. So that was great. And then uh, earlier this year in September, we were able to pass this franchise off from the league's hands to local ownership groups in, in Brian and, and Kevin, and they took it from there. Uh, this year alone, they, over 10,000 new fans came by the arena over the course of the year. Um, this will be just a tremendous place to, to host our championship weekend games, and uh, I'm, I'm really impressed of what they've done and where they're going. 
And one of the things I've been impressed by is like the it's a, a relatively new franchise in the uh, in a for new league, but tapping into the history of basketball in the city, whether it's you know, uh, you know, there's a number of players that played in the collegiate level, uh, you know, welcoming them into the fold. There's players that played in the pro. I know Dylan Klar and that team out there has really leaned into the history. Was that uh, is that something that you? you know, strategize, or is that something that you think of going into any market where you're saying, hey, this is not a uh, entity unto itself. We want to tap into the history when we go into the market and really lean in and be, you know, be closer to the community and bring those, maybe those people from the past into the fold here as well. Absolutely. I think the community aspect of what we do is is the most important aspect. And, you know, we find that there are ton of basketball fans that just haven't had their voices heard and you can go all the way back here to the Grizzlies and that's probably less left the bitter the bitter taste in the mouths of a basketball fan so I know we're not the Grizzlies but you know we're the best basketball played outside of the NBA in this country and we really tie ourselves to the community and Dylan and his team have done a tremendous job since the very beginning they have probably led the pack of getting into the community, providing opportunities, not just in basketball, but to get people together to celebrate sport and to to be that franchise that uh, people can aspire to, that can come watch and be entertained and feel like it's for them. And, you know, as you mentioned, the community aspect, not just with the Bandits, but with the league as a whole. And I was reading up on uh, your award ceremony last night, and I was – uh, very struck that you have a specific U Sports Player of the Year award, and I know you have a connection with U Sports and uh, you know a, a pathline for players from the university system here in Canada to join your ranks. How important is that to give that kind of uh, that that r- route for U Sports players to become professional players here in Canada? It's incredibly important because when we set out to develop the league, it was it was to do a couple things. One was to showcase all these great players that have gone for the last several decades and have to go overseas to to get paid to play the game because it wasn't available to them at home. And then being at the same time, being able to to develop the new talent that's coming beneath and the talent that's coming beneath is incredible. Um, U sports sometimes gets a bad rap, you know, with with the athletic side of, of what they do, but that, the players that go there, the talent that comes out of the Canadian uh, university system, the Canadian college system, can hang with just about anybody. They just need the exposure. And what we are able to do is elevate their exposure, uh, show them off across the country. And we had a, to your point, last year our U-Sport player, or this year our U-Sport player of the year was a rookie uh, coming out of uh, university who actually have run rookie of the year in U-Sport. So, uh, and the one previous to that, was Thomas Kennedy, who spent some time in, in Vancouver, as some of you know, and has spent four years with us developing uh, while still playing at Windsor and now is on the national team and playing in major tournaments and signed a huge contract over in Europe. So all those things combined uh, really kind of are what we're here for. Uh, we want to celebrate the people that can come to the CBL and have a path to the NBA or the G League or major uni- um uh, international programs all over the world. So we see that happening every year. We see it happening again this year. It's that U-Sport angle. Um, it, it's really important 
for the development of the game at that level and getting people interested in staying in this country uh, to develop at home. It's an interesting point you make, you know, about developing players who can then go on to the G League and the NBA, and you've had successes in that regard, which I think for a league as young as yours still is really, really impressive. But how do you balance, you know, being a stepping stone for other leagues for players versus retaining talent and trying to build that continuity with a franchise and, you know, retaining players that can be in a market for a long time and, and become kind of fixtures in the community? It, it is a gentle a, a, a balance, and it's it's one that I think, you know, we can win both ways. Um, if we can retain talent because they want to come back, and we've seen that over the last couple of years, um, players that come here, especially, you know, U.S. or international players that are like, oh, my gosh, like I want to come back here every year. And it's, it's everything about what we do and traveling the country and being in Canada in the summer and playing high-level basketball and having your name – be noticed in, in opportunities um, and at the same time you know we also celebrate when they leave us because they're leaving us to go on to bigger and better things and they've used the CBL as that platform so if I've noticed anything in, in the last five years the the type of player that we get the quality of player that we get is here for a reason they're not here just to hang out enjoy the summer and, and take it easy they're here because they want to play high-level basketball get noticed and continue their career and that's a very big difference because you know I, I came from a league that was very similar um, but sometimes people came here and, and they just didn't want to be here the players that come to the CBL want to be in the CBL and they see it for what it is and they use it to their advantage and that if that means they're here for multiple years fantastic and if they're not then you know we've done our job as well having a domestic league is so important for a you know the the development and maybe going to that next level, but at the very least raising the standard of the game in that league itself. But you also inspire kids in, in, in their own backyard to say, hey, they, I can play here. I can play in my own com- community or my own country. Um, you know, now you've got year five, 10 teams. Uh, is there anything that surprised you about this process of just building out the league? This is, uh, I'm sure, a startup feel for you. Uh, you know, what's that experience been like for you? And was, uh, was there something that stood out over the last couple of years here that, that uh, maybe took you by surprise? Oh, man, there's been so so many moments. Um, it has been surreal, to be quite honest, because to build a league in, in a country as big and wide and vast as Canada and to travel across the country and to try and connect all the dots is, is no small task. Um, and then to go through COVID back-to-back in two years was something no one expected and certainly not a, a, a year with a year under its belt, a league with a year under its belt. So, the COVID years were defining moments for us. Um, they kind of strengthened us. They made us stronger and better and able to withstand anything else that can come our way. So that was really important. And then starting to see, you know, the results across the country, whether it's, you know, four or 5,000 people in Vancouver, sellouts in Montreal and in, in Edmonton and Calgary and, you know, who can, who can not forget getting almost 11,000 people in Winnipeg last week. I mean, that, to watch a Canadian basketball league that didn't exist five years ago and didn't exist in Winnipeg until this year. These are all moments that you just, you, you sometimes just say, well, <laughs> enjoy it and, and on to the next one. But you, you have to celebrate what is built for the ecosystem, not so much for the league. It's for the basketball community across the country. 
We're talking to Mike Morreale here is the commissioner of the Canadian Elite Basketball League, Halford & Bruff, Sportsnet 650. And, you know, the point about having one year under your belt and then COVID hitting is a really good one. And I always think even in normal times, right, the goal for a startup professional sports league, the number one goal is just survival, right? Be stable, stay on your feet, show that you're going to be here for the long haul. And I think your league has cleared that bar, right? Surviving COVID, continuing to play, as you say, expanding, getting sellouts, what are the next steps? Where 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 is this league going in the the next five years in your eyes? Well, I think there's some simple steps, and that is to remain profitable at the league side, on the team side, to continue to invest into the CBL, and and to turn the business into twelve month uh, a year business. I think that's the goal of all sports organizations to do that. Um, we will grow and we'll grow smartly over the next little bit. And you'll likely see another team in the West and another team in the East over the next year or two. Um, you know, I, I think we'll continue to attract uh, and develop high level athletes. And I, and I truly believe that our league can become the de facto destination in the spring and summer for basketball anywhere in the world. Um, you know, we, we play at a downtime in international basketball. It affords us access to players from the G League and the NBA and, and all over the world. So we, we know we have something here. we got to keep growing and maturing it uh, and attracting great people to it. And I, and I think if we stick to those plans, um, we'll be okay. Well, Mike, you just mentioned a, a new team in the West. You're on a West Coast show here. So I have to follow up and ask, uh, is that team potentially on the island? Well, you know, it has a good ring to it. Uh, I think there's a you know a couple in BC opportunities, whether it's Victoria or Kelowna, that that come to top of mind. That would be equally as exciting for us, uh, and we've certainly been working on those things behind the scenes for quite some time. Very exciting. We will uh, we will stay tuned for more news on that. You're not you're not making an announcement on Championship Weekend, are you, Mike? Nothing, nothing like that. Uh, but I'm just trying to stay awake and make sure I've got <laughs> enough energy to get through this thing. Uh, yeah, I, I listen. I hear that, and you know, I did want to ask. It's it's interesting. Your league starting up at a time where we're also seeing. I think a massive growth in interest in basketball in Canada in general, right? Whether it's the Raptors, whether it's the national team, how exciting is that for you, right? Not just from a business perspective, but as a basketball fan to see where this sport is going. You know, we've been talking about the world cup coming up a lot and it feels like there's so many more people paying attention there. The team is so much more talented. It's just a very exciting time. I think to be following basketball in Canada. Uh, it's, it's incredible, and uh, you know it's built off the backs of, of what the Grizzlies did, what the Raptors did years ago, what they've done currently. You know, I would suggest that you know the, the victory, the, the championship by the Raps in 2019 gives us a 34-year run of, of new players and new eyeballs and new excitement, whether it's on the court, off the court, fans, etc. So this it's like a rising tide lifts all boats that's exactly what's happening more basketball uh we need to play more basketball in more places and get people excited about the game and we are so close on the national stage now um the domestic league is there to help continue to help as we continue to grow but we have you know these rare opportunities right in front of us with this world cup coming up in a couple weeks and and of course hopefully paris in 2024 that could dynamically change um where basketball sits in this country mike really appreciate the time uh, thanks for doing this and uh, i'm really excited to to see how championship weekend goes here enjoy it thank you guys thanks for having me on have a great day thank you that is mike mariali he is the commissioner 
of the Canadian Elite Basketball League. And yeah, championship weekend involving the Vancouver Bandits getting started tomorrow, uh, the semifinals at the LEC. Uh, so you can check it out and get your tickets now. And I got to say, you know, you hear startup Canadian Professional Basketball League. You don't necessarily necessarily think this is going to be played at a really high level. The quality of basketball is really good in this league. And as he said, like there's been guys who've played in this league, gone on to the NBA, gone on to the G League, right? Gone on to really high level European leagues. It's a legit the, the talent base is legit and the product is exciting, including the the target score ending which is something that you hear that's a lot right. of people talk about, and that's what they do in this league, right? At a certain point, you stop the clock, and you say, okay, here's the points, the point total that a team has to reach. It's a fantastic way to to, uh, to end a basketball game. It reminds you of your days playing at maybe at your house or yeah. in the park, like, hey, first to, first to 11. Whatever, yep. right? Next basket. It comes down to that. I, I love that. And they've got the, the game tomorrow against Calgary which is a semifinal, and then championship on Sunday. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if Vancouver makes it there, that I'm sure it'll be a hot ticket in town. But I'm um, really looking forward to the weekend because it is something unique. It's something that you know the NHL can offer it in terms of a, a final four weekend. Yep. Having one area to do that is kind of a mix of, like, as Mike mentioned, the final four and the, the Grey Cup kind of coming together here. And, uh, you know, this is a, a pretty unique opportunity. And it's not only the games. You mentioned awards night. They've got a concert series going yep. on downtown Vancouver. They've got a, a commissioner's breakfast, I believe, going on tomorrow. So there's a bunch of things that are going on. Um, but more importantly as well, potential BC team. Let's go. I, I, when he dropped that, Some, I was like, you, have, know, you I, have to ask, right? My ears perked up, and now you never know, right? Because sometimes, like, the West in Canada can encompass a very large region. Yeah, it could have been Moose Jaw. Yeah, right? could have been Red Deer. But, you know, you look, Calgary and Edmonton already have teams. Winnipeg just got a team. Yep. So you're starting to run out of options. It sounds like at this if if it isn't Kelowna or Victoria, we're gonna have to have Mike back on the show and 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 you know ask him what the heck happened because the way he was talking there, I'm looking forward now to a second franchise in in BC. Oh yeah, uh, and- Kamloops, hello. Yeah. <laughs> true. Kamloops, they could play out of uh, North Cam Secondary's gym. Yeah. What? No, okay, no, they have an actual building out there. Kamloops is the tournament capital. It is. The it is the capital of, of Canada. That's true. I'm reminded every time I drive into Kamloops, massive signs. They make it very clear. Yes, they do. But. Uh, you know, it is kind of the CPL model, right? Where yeah. very similar t- uh, domestic leagues. Mm-hmm. And if you start looking at maybe reverse order, where they had the team in Victoria first, first and then came here. Yep. Maybe the reverse going on with the Yeah, CPL. I think that would be good. Get the rivalry going. And as he said, one of the things about that, too, is it helps with travel costs. Because you can actually play games against a rival. You're not flying across the country to do it. You can just hop on the ferry and go play uh, Victoria and, or drive up to Kelowna. Yeah, alternatively, Kelowna, you know, we've talked a lot about playing games there, if it's mm-hmm. the Lions playing one-offs there, or doing, you know, just something involving Kelowna, uh, it would be nice to see some pro sports out It would there, be right? interesting to be I, kind of, to kind of plant their flag there as, yeah, we're, we're taking this market seriously, we're going to go there. I, I It would be fun. I, I, I have questions about the business side of it. I don't know, you know, there's a reason that certain leagues haven't gone there yep. yet. Like, is it viable? I think with Victoria, we've seen it in the past, we've seen it with the WHL, we've seen it with the CPL, but nonetheless... Mike Morielli uh, giving us some news Giving today. us a little bit of a hint of where to expect the Canadian Elite Basketball League to expand next. Uh, 650-650. We've got what we learned coming up in just 10 minutes. Much earlier than normal. I'm trying to warn you all. Give you all fair warning and also uh, ask you to hit us up with your submissions. Uh, what we learned. What you learned over the last 24 hours of sports in the inbox. Before we get to that. Uh, 
speaking of Canadian sports and out west Canadian sports, um, the Edmonton Elks, they're going for more history. <laughs> They've already made history of a bad sort. They've got a chance to build on their record for home futility tonight against Winnipeg. And there is something to this where I think even if you're not a massive CFL fan, watching something unique happen kind of transcends leagues. You don't have to be a big CFL fan to have a certain amount of curiosity about just how bad can things be in Edmonton for how long. Yeah, and I am not necessarily, like, growing up, I watched a lot of CFL. Yeah. Damon Allen, uh, you know, Corey Philpot, Sean Millington, like, go through the names, Carl Kidd later on. But, yeah, I'm not a CFL guy. I I think Mm -hmm. anybody that listened to the station over the last few years knows that. However, there's something about this that I always keep on going back to the TV and being like, are they going to do it again? Is it going to continue? Are they, you know, they're going to pick up the first victory with their new name at home. They still haven't picked up a victory with the Elks name. And today they're playing the Blue Bombers who ended up putting up 50 points on the BC Lions. If they well, two things here, two things, Oof. right? If they get dropped, it's going to be bad. Yep. If they win, can you imagine the storylines? One of the greatest upsides in CFL history, probably. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm rooting for them to lose. I just want to see how long this can go on. It's like it's not like I have anything against the Elks. I think inherently. the Elks need to lean into this from a marketing <laughs> perspective. Like they need. We're to, the team that loses like, all the time. They need to lean in. Like, how bad can it get? Like, come, come on down. Bring the family. You've never seen anything like this before. It'll it'll change your life. If the get... opposition hits seventy points, yeah. you all get a free hot dog. Yeah, they no. got to give out branded uh, paper bags that the fans can put over. There their you heads. go. See, now we're getting imaginative. <laughs> Lean into it. It is, and uh, you know, Izzy and I were talking about this over the last couple of weeks. It is so striking too that it's not just happening to any CFL franchise, but one of the premier flagship teams in the league, right? The like, city of champions. The remember? city of champions. And, you know, these fans, they really care, right? Like, if this was happening to the Argos, nobody in Toronto is talking about it. It'd be like, oh, yeah, the Argos are bad? Yeah, who cares? The Argos happen to be good this year. But it wouldn't, it wouldn't be making waves in the same way. In Edmonton, yeah, I mean, they're talking about what the Oilers are going to do and Jeff Jackson coming in and all that. But this is the story in Edmonton. Like, it is a big big deal it's just so surprising to see a team with that much history with that much support with that record of success just completely crumble setting north american records for home futility and uh, i for one hope that it continues tonight <laughs> it's like watching a bad movie you want to see how bad it can be right like you know when there's like a, a tom green movie yet or something like that you're just like this ain't gonna get an oscar how Bad is this? The Elks are the Freddy Godfinger yes. of the CFL. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> That's exactly it. That's exactly it. There you go. The so bad it's good of the of the CFL. Yeah. If I'm the Elks, I call them up and say, "Can you come down and like just lean into this act?" They should do like uh, a series of so bad it's good movies after the game. Like stick around, we're gonna air Freddy Godfinger after the game. <laughs> Fun for the whole family. <laughs> Musical performance by Tom Green. <laughs> I'm not going to sing it. That's uh, that's an Andy thing. Gili with Ben Affleck and, and Jennifer Lopez. That was a bad one. I don't yeah. know if that was oh. so bad. It was, was good, What though. was the sci-fi one with John Travolta? Oh, Battlefield Earth? There you go. Yes. Yeah, that was yeah. bad. That's, uh, that's, that's a tough one. Up there is one of the worst. You know, you, you know when you go on, like, you just go to the movies and just 
whether it's date or whatever, and you're just like, ah, mm-hmm. I don't care. I'm, I'm just going to go watch something. Let's see what's sure. playing. Yeah. There's some terrible movies you watch. <laughs> yeah. Some terrible that's, movies. If that's your, if that's your, like, oh, let's just go to the movies. We'll figure out what's on. And I'll just go to whatever's showing. There was a uh, Sean William Scott, and I forgot who it was. I think Will Forte or something like that. Mr. Woodcock. <laughs> I swear, I'm not making this up. It had Billy Bob Thornton in it. It's a terrible movie. Terrible movie. Uh, I'm going to see Oppenheimer today. Okay. After the show. So. Ooh, you'll yes. enjoy. I'm we, very we, excited. We, we saw it uh, at the IMAX in Richmond, and it was definitely worth it. I'm not going Which to see it. Which is weird because. But. It's weird because like it's a lot of talking in rooms. So you're mm. just like, does this really need IMAX? But <laughs> sounds good to me. It sounds strange, but then you see it in the IMAX and the we're whole radio thing... broadcasters, of course, talking say, in rooms. As somebody who talks in a room professionally, but, but, I'm but excited. the fact that the whole thing was filmed with the IMAX camera, like yeah, yeah, even yeah. in that kind of a genre, it still is worth it. It's still really, really cool. Uh, okay. So for all of our listeners who love the movie content, we'll do a, an hour of Oppenheimer talk tomorrow. So make sure you tune in to that. Um, uh, somebody pointed in Josh in his video van pointed out that actually fans in Edmonton. Uh, at Elks games will get kicked out for having the bags over their heads. That's ridiculous. Yeah, so they're not even letting the that, fans fans lean in. That is it. not quite as cowardly as the Baltimore Orioles, it's but it's getting there. Like, you lost 21 games at home. The fans can't do a mild show of frustration. Well, it's also easy to get kicked out because there's only several fans in the game, right? So <laughs> they, I mean, can re- they can pick you out yeah, really you can easily. Point you out hey, well, that's yeah. not a yellow seat. But like, guess what? You don't want your fans to be upset? Win some games. It's I got a really easy solution to you. Can that's, you imagine that's being rough. Can you imagine being a season ticket holder and wearing a paper bag and you're tossed out even though you spent thousands of dollars that's so on bad. a terrible team? That's embarrassing. That is not good uh from the Edmonton Elks. All right, we will get into men. Remember what we learned is coming up next here on Halford and Bruff, Sportsnet 650. The People's Show, your home for Vancouver Summer Sports Talk. Subscribe to the podcast now. Now for my favorite part of the show. What did I say? Talk to the audience. Oh, God, this is always dead. It's what we learn time. It's what we learn time. It's what we learn time. On the show. There you go. Can't get what we learned started until we hear the what we learned theme song. Uh, and again, 650, 650 is the number. And as we learned yesterday, inspired by all the greats, Mozart, Barry Manilow, and Biggie <laughs> yes. Smalls, all played a factor in that song. Now we just have to incorporate Anne Murray in there somehow. We'll, we'll get there. Um, I'll start. I have two. All right. So first, I got to rep, rep my neighborhood. What we learned. Uh, Little Mountain, Little League. From Mount Pleasant, or, you know, the center of the city, in my neighborhood anyways. You uh, are M- Mr. Mount Pleasant. I am Mr. Mount Pleasant, yep. yes, correct. <laughs> Little sure. Mountain Little League uh, playing for the Canadian Championship at 10 a.m. today in Regina against the host Regina team. Uh, they beat Alberta 11-0 in the semifinal uh, yesterday. They're undefeated at the tournament so far. So if I, for some reason, was making the odds for uh, a Little League game, at a sports betting book, I would have them as the heavy favorite going into this All game. Right. Okay. I don't think you can bet on it, but I'm just saying. No, no. If you could. So uh, they're, they're, they, of course, were the uh, Canada's representative at the Little League World Series last year, trying to go back-to-back. I-, I said this earlier when I was hosting with Izzy. A dynasty in the making. Little Mountain Little League here. Good luck to the team. And also a shout-out to you, coach. Not of this team. No. 
But within Absolutely the little not. league, uh, oh, little mountain, sorry, yes. little league system, you are a coach. Yeah, I'm, I'm just, I'm part of that. I'm part of the program. It's like the uh, Belichick coaching tree. You're, you're <laughs> part of it. Right. Over yes. at Little Mountain. That's exactly uh, what it is. So, uh, c- not well. Congratulations on making the final, and best of luck to them. Uh, you can watch that game at something called Access Now TV on YouTube, which I think is like a local access Saskatchewan YouTube channel. So there you go. They're streaming the game live. Good for them. If you want to, if you want to support, uh, see, Little there are Mountain jobs League. in journalism. That's right. That could be you one day. Uh, so that's my first one. The other one I wanted to mention here, Phil Mickelson, speaking of uh, betting on little league baseball, if you could, Phil Mickelson really, really, really likes betting on sports. Uh, this is from a new book about a uh, former associate of Phil Mickelson, Billy Walters talks a lot about Phil Mickelson's gambling habits, and they're pretty wild. According to Billy Walters, Phil Mickelson, over a period of about 10 years, made more than $1 billion in bets. Now, I don't mean profited, but just the total volume of what he was betting. More than a billion dollars laid down in sports betting. Uh, He also says he tried to gamble on a Ryder Cup that he was playing in, which... I, I think is frowned upon by <laughs> by various golf associations. Uh, the stats are just wild, right? Like in 2011 alone, he made more than 3,000 bets, an average of nearly nine a day. He was making, he was betting $100,000 on a single event like a thousand times he was doing that. Lost almost $100 million in this time frame. Like Phil Mickelson takes, you think you're a degenerate for, you know, Bringing up your app and, and throwing some bets down on play now on a Canucks bets? game. Yeah. Doing a same day, same game Canucks parlay. No, 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 no. This is what it really looks like when you're at the top of your game. This guy dropped a billion over an extended period. Like, he's bet more than the GDP of countries. Like, that's how much he's bet. Yeah. So, a little bit of backstory here, too. Shane O'Brien, who we used to have on Reach Deep, mm-hmm. he mentioned that he once golfed with Phil Mickelson. And per hole golfing, right? Yep. So like oh, it's betting. So, you know, you're not, you're not saying, okay, at the end of the round, no, it's, we're going to tally up at the end. And it's like $20,000 a hole. That was just a casual, like Wednesday afternoon round. Yep. Now. Yeah. That was just like, Hey, I, I'm bored. Let's do something. You guys don't make the same amount of money I do, but I'll make it generous. Let's do 20,000 on that. I wonder if, uh, I wonder if Phil Mickelson and Michael Jordan have golfed together and what that was like. <laughs> Yeah. I don't know if there's... I'm sure they have. I'm sure they have. I'm sure they have. Can we get that on, on like, one of those made-for-TVs? Yes. That would be nice. You know, like, sponsored by one of the big betting sponsored houses? Sponsored by one of the big betting houses, yeah. Just, like, you guys go nuts. Set the stakes. Whatever you want. Just be yourselves. Go be yourselves out Please. there. Please. Can you imagine that? <laughs> Woo! All right. Uh, so, anyways, Phil Mickelson. Uh Explaining why he's uh, interested in that live money, I think, a little bit there when you when you that hear some sense. of those habits. Uh, give us a moo cow there. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. It's coming. It's coming. There we go. We did it. There we are. Uh, Randy. Right. What we learned, the Toronto Maple Leafs might need to score six goals a game this year. I'm all for local guys. But, yeah. but here's the trio that the Toronto Maple Leafs have in net. Samsonov. Sure. Joseph Wall, Martin Jones. And if you want a fourth, if he gets healthy somehow, Matt Murray. That's a rough situation. It's not ideal. And I mean, that's, that's a rough situation. They also signed John Klingberg on their blue line, right? So he's going to be playing 
probably significant minutes for them. He's not exactly a, a defensive wizard. Nope. Morgan Riley, questions about his two-way game. It, it's not – that's the scary thing for me, right? Because you, we've seen – if you are the Carolina Hurricanes, right, or you are a really structured, responsible, good team, you can get decent performances out of, you know, whatever goalies. I don't know if Toronto – now, they've been a better defensive team over the last couple of years. They still have that reputation as, you know, all offense, no yep. defense. But they've actually been a pretty def- decent defensive team the last couple of years. But with Guy, you know, Giordano getting a year older, TJ Brody getting a year older. A lot older, of questions, yeah. Morgan Riley's his where his game is at defensively. Klingberg – like, if that blue line takes a step back and you combine it with the quality of goaltending they have, that could be – I think I'm I think I'm a little lower on the Leafs going into this year than a lot of other people are because that combination really would make me nervous. And the question I have heading into this year is, you're right. Like, those defensemen, some of them, the, the, the players that were picked up. Klingberg is a really interesting one. But what did we talk about Vancouver last year? What did we talk about in the city? Alignment. Mm-hmm. what is the alignment like in Toronto, right? True Living's picking up players. They seem to have a good relationship, but we all know what the situation is. This is a coach that the previous regime had. They held on to. The new GM's picking up players. Is it going to jive with the way that the coach is, you know, his philosophy is and yep. the way he wants to coach? So to me, I look at that. I think there's going to be a drop-off environment in front of the goalies, and there seems to be a drop-off and the goalies as well. Like Martin Jones had a rough year last year. Um, he's, you know, he's a good local guy. But if he's your backup and Samsonov, who had his moments last year, who's probably definitely the better goalie of the two, but not in any way really a legit bona fide you, you starter don't look in this him league. As a, yeah, as a clear cut. Oh, he's gonna he's gonna carry the workload for you. So it's it's gonna have to be by committee. And sometimes that works out, but yep. it also can make you really nervous. And then when the playoffs roll around, you want to have still that one guy you can really count on. And the more I think about it. I actually think the Pacific is the better division than than the Atlantic. Interesting. Like if the the top end now with what happened to Boston, yep, and some questions looking at you know the Toronto Maple Leafs that they're still a playoff team, but obviously what's the ceiling? I look at what's going on in the Pacific and I say the top three in the Pacific to me are better than the Atlantic. That's interesting. Now you do still have in the Pacific you have Anaheim and San Jose who I think are going to be afterthoughts and you really only have Montreal in the Atlantic because Buffalo, Detroit, Ottawa are they're trying to push to to unseat one of those uh, uh playoff teams in the Atlantic. I think that's the question is how do the middle class teams in both in both divisions perform, and, right? Yeah, the Atlantic's got more options there. Yeah. But I when I think when you do the middle class versus the the upper class. Right. I'd give the upper class to the Pacific, the middle class to the Atlantic. Like if you sure. are if you're Buffalo and you're saying, how do I get into this top three? I think it's easier for a team like Buffalo to do it than it is for Vancouver. Interesting. All right. Give us a moo cow there. A Dog, Elon, you guys got it uh, uh, what we learned this year? I do. All right. Uh I learned that you could get uh you can get Skytrain vending machine machine sushi now. You can oh, get no. sushi out of a vending machine at Skytrain stations as as of this past week. Uh, specifically two, so Coquitlam Center uh, Skytrain and the Lafarge Lake Douglas Station All right. now has, um, it's from the company Sushi Mori. Now, apparently this does get refilled every day, so the sushi is fresh. I just have to preface that, uh, preface by saying that, because uh, it, it's, it's not maybe not as bad as it sounds, but it did raise my eyebrows when I read it, because yes. I don't normally think of 
sushi coming out of a vending a machine. Vending machine. When I, it's not the kind of thing I would normally want to risk. Probably it sounds no. pretty dangerous. No, but uh, sushi at a SkyTrain station on top of that. Yeah, like not a vending, like not only a vending machine at a SkyTrain. Sky yeah. yeah, so it's it's a strange mix. Uh, but the reviews thus far have been actually pretty positive. Uh, I mean, it's obviously not going to be anything like restaurant sushi. No. But considering it's popping out of a vending machine at a SkyTrain station. It's convenient. It's convenient, and it could be worse. But, yeah, I just wanted to point that out there. If you're feeling brave and you're at Coquitlam Center SkyTrain or uh, the Farge Douglas Lake SkyTrain, uh, give it a whirl. Let uh, us know what you think. I think that Coquitlam Center is uh, Bick's station, I believe. Oh, is it? So we might have to task him with... Uh, for the content. Coquitlam Central Station, I should say. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Okay. Uh, if, well, if Bick doesn't show up for work for a few weeks, we know why. <laughs> we might have to ask him. What level that. of hunger would you have to be at to get to hit up that uh, vending machine? Pretty extreme. Pretty extreme. Uh, although Benny from Comox says, I ate the sushi already. It was pretty good. So apparently it's all right. Is that why he moved to Comox? <laughs> he wanted to get away from the sushi? But there, the thing is, not only would you have to be starving... But for some reason, all of the other options would have to be not to your liking. Like, there's got to be other options at these. Typically, there's a Tim's or something, at least, if not right in the station, at least yes. around the station. Or, I mean, I would probably just go for a chocolate bar to tide me over from the vending machine yeah. until I can get to a different location. It's not the the vending machine necessarily. Like, SkyTrain and food doesn't go well for me. Like, I, I don't really want to be consuming food on the SkyTrain. I'm, I'm just... No, I... It's not a place that I'd like to dine at. I guess if you, like, scarf it down while you're waiting for the train. But when then I, that has its own issues. When I went to SFU back in the day as a student, like, of course, it's a necessity. You're on yep. the run, whatever. But now it's just it's a little different. I'd, I'm willing to be late wherever I'm going to, <laughs> to get a meal. <laughs> to get a, so you're, an actual you're telling meal. Me, like, I don't need it that bad, man. You're telling me that if SkyTrain opened up a restaurant in one of the trains, you could actually sit down at a table, find dining experience in a SkyTrain, <laughs> you wouldn't do that? you still say no? I, I might... No, Wait, like a it. dining train? Or yeah, like... exactly. SkyTrain adds a dining train to so every single SkyTrain. Are we Sky talking train. about like that, that? And it's like fine dining. You go and someone's playing the violin. Like Murder on candles. the Orange Express? Exactly. Yeah, that's what we're talking so about? Murder yeah. on the Orange Express minus the murder. That would so. actually be fantastic. I mean, I don't know if you can have like a fine dining meal in the 15 minutes it takes to, well, the idea, <laughs> to get to your location. Well, the thing is, is obviously you wouldn't get out of this. The doors would stay closed. You wouldn't get out of the stops. They'd dim the lights. You're stuck nice there. Movie. Exactly. Oh, you dim the lights on the SkyTrain? Come well, on, man. Yeah, That's a safety issue. It's its own train. Yeah, but, yeah, and you're sitting at a table. This isn't the Rocky Mountaineer, right? Candlelight, <laughs> like, candlelight dinner. Come on, man. Use your imagination. This is an interesting, like, pop-up idea for uh, for TransLink, I think. Well, they if TransLink Trans you know does you just, steal this, they have to give me credit. Oh, I like the idea, but you know what it just, uh, you kind of described here is the McDonald's train on <laughs> on on Boundary and, like, Loheen. You know that one McDonald's that had that? Yeah. <laughs> that, like, one train car? Oh, yeah. yeah. That's what you've described. That was a fine dining experience. Yep. Uh, Ray from Marple points out, guys, we're not talking sashimi. Sushi can have cooked stuff in it. So it's not as if it's raw fish Correct. just sitting there in the vending machine. Man, I don't care if it's a cucumber roll. I'm not eating out of a vending machine at Scotwood SkyTrain Sky Station or I don't care which SkyTrain Station it is. Well, they do. They say they refill it every morning and it has proper, uh, obviously, cooling and uh, refrigeration. It's, it's a very fancy looking vending machine. It is refrigerated properly. So it's not like you're just getting... Mm. Not, not like the Snickers bar vending machine or like the one in our building that looks like it's from like the 1950s. <laughs> Shots fired. Uh, we got this from Dalvir. <laughs> Skytrain sushi sounds catchy, but also the absolute worst. Yeah. Although uh, Nelson and Colonna says, sweet, I can take my family for sushi dinner at the Skytrain station. <laughs> <laughs> Little 
It's a big night out yeah. for for the family. Right. It's not going to count. It shouldn't cost too much against no, the cap, right? It's affordable. If you're, looking, if you're trying to stay under the cap, absolutely. It is affordable. Uh, all right. Going into the uh, listener, what we learned submission. Uh, Dan from Van, what we learned in the JT Miller interview, he can't stand some of local media. Do you guys feel safe? And Dan says 100% Bruff is one of them that JT Miller can't stand. Uh, I feel incredibly safe because I would be absolutely stunned beyond belief if JT Miller knows who I am. So I have no problem. I will say I would also be surprised if Bruff fell into that category because I don't think JT Miller is waking up early. No offense here to listen to Halford and Bruff. How dare you? I'm just going to – I'm going out on a limb How about here. if he downloads, downloads the Maybe podcast? Maybe he downloads to listen later, but I'm going out on a limb here. The, the, when, I think when players talk about media and media getting on their nerves, they're talking about the people in the room. Like physically there. They're not talking about, oh, I was listening to the radio and I heard this guy say something, right? I, I don't think so, at least in my experience. I think they're talking about the people who are there on a day-to-day basis that they talk to after the games, that they talk to after practices, Right. Now, I'm not going to name any names here or anything, but I'm just saying, I don't think it's about Bruff. I don't think it's about guys who are on the radio. No, they don't I think even it's know about who the, we are. Exactly. That's what I mean. <laughs> it's it's totally, obviously, it's the scrum reporters. Yeah, like, it's the, the people guys who are there with who have to go day. face-to-face yeah, with them every single day. Those are the day. guys they talk to. Yeah, so I feel more than safe. Yeah, I'm there. I, I think. I'm I sure you're fine. I think I'm good. I think I'm good. Who can I'm, I'm kind of like, you know, hanging around. There's There's other people. There's other people. <laughs> All right. Kevin on the road. What we learned. Could the Coyotes have a deeper right side than the right side uh, defense in the Canucks this year? No. That is the answer to that. Not Dumba. So they signed Dumba, but like Hronick. Hronick and Dumba is not a comparison. It's Hronick. Not yes. even close. Yes. It's not close. Yeah. At yeah. this stage of their careers, Troy Stetcher. So now if you want to, if you're just going by right shot defensemen, maybe there's an argument here, but the Canucks are going to play in all likelihood, one of... Probably Ian Cole. Probably Ian Cole. And I, I'm taking Ian Cole over Troy Stetcher. No disrespect to, to Stetcher, but I'm taking Ian Cole. You just uh, you completely disrespected Richmond right now. Just saying. All like number five and Camby boys are going to come after uh, it's you. An, it's an easy decision for me. Okay. I'm taking Ian Cole. So right there, I mean, the top four, the two the two di- the guys, it's really no no comparison for me. You'd way rather have Ronick and Cole down your right side than... Matthew Dumba and Troy Stetcher. And then, you know, they're probably going to have Victor Soderstrom, who's, you know, young, got some upside, and maybe you'd take that over Tyler Myers. That's fair, but I think the gap in the top four. Let's not get ahead of ourselves with the Coyotes, people. Okay, they signed a couple players, but there's still some deficiencies there. Yeah, I think there's also a, like, still a what is Philip Hronick conversation, right? Like, you see a little bit of him last year. How good is he? The Canucks think he's elite, so hopefully that's true. Well, because he, we need him to be. Well, if he's elite this year, then you're gonna have to pay him a lot too. Yep. So he's he's gonna make. So it's it's kind of like a weird situation where you're like, I hope he's good, but I hope he's not that good because then yeah. he's gonna be he's gonna be expensive. Hope he's really really good without putting up points. <laughs> exactly. Which could happen. He's not gonna be on the power play shot, much. Though. Honestly, and as much as I rag have ragged on Tyler Myers in the past, him in a bottom six position playing limited minutes is perfect. And that's honestly where he should have been this entire time yeah. in Vancouver. He just didn't – they weren't afforded that opportunity because they just didn't have the depth to do it. But if Myers is in the bottom six, like that bottom pairing, that's actually fine. Like, I think he'll be he'll, – he'll, he'll do well in that role. People forget this, though, but when he left Winnipeg, he was playing on the third pairing with Dmitry Kulikov, right? I think it speaks more to the Canucks and what they needed at that point in time. Mm-hmm. In a third-pair role – 
he, you know, the price tag doesn't fit it to your point. Of course point. not. Yeah, yeah. But it but might be but a that aside. Fit. Yeah, it might be a better fit. Tyler Myers yeah. sub 20 minutes a night probably won't be so bad. Yeah. And again, so if that's your third pairing right shot defenseman, is it again, you're you don't like that you're paying him. It's not ideal, but just in terms of a fit, it's not this massive deficiency. So no, I uh, I'm not buying that the Arizona Coyotes have a deeper right side than the Canucks on defense this year. Uh, this one also about uh, the Coyotes. Todd has bad takes, says what we learned. Phoenix has six major suburbs, and the Coyotes are going to swipe right on all of them. Yes, they. Uh, we talked about it a little bit yesterday. The letter of intent to buy some land in Mesa. We all know so much about the geography of the Phoenix area. Okay, now. it didn't work the first three times. Yes, but this, this time. But and and they're not even saying this one is going to work because they're saying we're going to keep our options open. We're going to you know see what's out there. We're going to go on uh, a bunch of different dates. It's the uh, we're it's, not exclusive with Mesa. It's the conveyor belt strategy. <laughs> You're good for now. I don't. I we'll don't, see what else comes up. I don't know my Arizona geography. So how close is Mesa to like? the downtown like, i saw somebody say it would be in terms of distance it would be like if the canucks played in like south surrey hmm. so well, not so basically it's not like abbotsford but it's not close yeah either. it's not ideal kind of like the sends and them playing in canada yeah it's yeah. essentially that yeah. yeah it's something like that which, so it's, which is not good yeah as we know from the ottawa <laughs> the ottawa model and the whole thing of well that's where our fans are it's like if you only have fans in one pocket of the metropolitan area that's, You're in trouble. The, that's not they, good i thought they were saying that about tempe though you can't yes, change the story over and over again i know actually our fans in tempe actually, have now fan, moved. No, no no they're all in mesa now i swear they live our, in mobile yeah, homes our they're... one fan moved to mesa so we're following him <laughs> They live in mobile homes. They constantly move. So. But can you imagine like talking that way about the Canucks? It's like, well, all our fans are in Coquitlam. It's like, well, no, you have fans all over the city, right? Every there's fans everywhere. That's how it works. I don't know why this is supposed to be a, a compelling justification for the Coyotes. No, 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 no. We only have fans in two suburbs. Like, well, that's bad. <laughs> you should probably move then. That's really not a good spot uh, to be in. If we're a, having uh, this conversation ten years from now, there's no way. There's no way Gary Bettman. Like allows that, right? Like, I, mean, we, I know. How I many know times have we said that though? But how many times? They're playing in a five thousand seat arena, though. At least they had an almost full size one back then. It's very, very bad. It is very, very bad, and uh, we'll see where this new one goes. You know what I love about uh, sports radio is that we'll mention SkyTrain stations, and then mm-hmm. we get a text like this. I'm going to make it a what we learned, unsigned texture. What we, what I learned. I got chased by some dude with an IROC and a baseball bat and a mullet at Scott Road Station. <laughs> that just tells well, a story. Thank you. Thank that you. tells a story right there. Exactly. You know the I know it's more words, but you know the the old thing about uh Ernest Hemingway being challenged to write like a moving short story in six words, and it was uh baby shoes for sale, never worn, right? This like really moving all packs all this emotion and imagery into six words. It's more than six words, but that tells a story right there. <laughs> I got chased by some dude in an IROC with a baseball bat and a mullet. I want to know more. Like, write a book about that. Please. Or a miniseries or something. This is why I find dining at the SkyTrain may not work. <laughs> but they will take is a stab at it. the guy with the IROC and the mullet invited yeah. and you're a gonna, baseball you're, bat? You're going to have to fight for that meal. They could take a stab at it, but it might not work. Oh, that's a fantastic one. All right. Uh, we might have some time for some more What We Learns later in the show, even though this was the official, official what we learned segment, but uh, if you have any late-breaking ones, you can get them in still. Up next, we will talk to Thomas Drance of The Athletic, and of course right here on Sportsnet 650 as well about his latest piece, uh, what he heard from JT Miller on the Cam and Strick podcast, and uh, a whole lot more Canucks coming up next here on Halford & Bruff, Sportsnet 650.